This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Next on Plains FM, we have Polish culture and traditions on Polish Waves. Between the Waters, Polish Legacy in New Zealand Charitable Trust presents you with the radio broadcast, Polish Waves. Dzień dobry from Poland. Welcome to October edition of Polish Waves on Plains FM 96.9, Canterbury Community Access Radio Station. My name is Dorota and you have just joined us on a journey to discover some Polish legacy in Aotearoa. This month, as part of Christchurch Heritage Festival, we will share with you some interesting facts on Polish stories of Canterbury. Welcome to October edition of Polish Waves. Here we are talking about Polish heritage in Canterbury. We are taking part in the Heritage uh, Christchurch Heritage Festival organized by Christchurch City Council every year. This year we are joining with our heritage story um, and the theme of the festival, people and place, uh, we are enriched with uh, the Polish um, ancestry here in Christchurch in Canterbury. And here's our story, our story of Polish people and our story, story of Polish place in Canterbury in Christchurch. In the program also, we are going to introduce uh, some Polish themes and uh, this time uh, the, it will be music. We are going to share with you five national uh, musical notes of five Polish national dances. So, hope you enjoy the program today. Our first presenter's chat is with Margaret Copland. Who is Margaret Copland? Graduated in history and English and began her career as a teacher of history. She was born and raised in Rangiora and now lives in Kirui, which is a little township out of uh, Christchurch. She is a professional heritage storyteller with international experience and uh, her focus is a local history. She is proud recipient of a badge of honor called Meritorious for Polish Culture um, for her contribution, valuable contribution, I must add, to Polish culture in Canterbury and in New Zealand. Here's Margaret Copland and I will chat with her early on. Margaret, it's a pleasure to have you here with us today. Um, as you know, we are part. We are taking part in the uh, Christchurch um, Heritage Festival this, this year. 
and we want to be enriched with heritage. And of course, because it's a Polish program, we would like to be enriched with Polish heritage. Hence, you as a part of the program, an icon person of Polish heritage in Canterbury. Can you tell us, please, how and when did you discover that you were Polish? It was while I was a child, but not very much because although my father was 100% genetically Polish, he was third generation, of course, mm-hmm. he didn't really talk about it because he had been adopted. His mother died when he was 10 months old and his aunt looked after him, but he had five brothers who went into an orphanage So he didn't like to talk about it. He also uh, had a stepfather who was a very nice man, but he was Irish. And some of the Irish people back then were a little bit prejudiced. Not him necessarily, but some of his relations. So he was embarrassed, really, Mm. about his Polish Mm. heritage. Mm. And he was caught between the two cultures. Mm. But, so he didn't talk about it. But you know, on, on what you said is quite. Um, we hear the stories all the time that boys tend to integrate into new society much faster than girls. The, the girls in the migrants' families were the ones who were preserving traditions, language. When the boys were getting married and uh, were keeping to themselves that they were coming from different uh, ethnic background. They it, didn't want to be different. They, they didn't want to be different. That's that. What you're saying is, is not unusual. That happened across the many families. Mm. Yes. And he was quite ambitious. He mm. went into business. He did quite well. Yeah. Um, and consequently, he wanted to be accepted. Yeah, very and much. It, it, I think it's a drive for, for being accepted. You you, mm, you, you yes. touched a good point. So you must have investigated that a bit further to find out where the family was from. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> when I graduated, I, I was a history teacher, um, I went, I found out about all my Polish relatives. They were first and second cousins. And I went and interviewed them all. Now, there was... A little bit of distance between my father's upbringing. He he wasn't um, up, brought up mostly in Marshlands. He was mostly in Belkin. And there was an awareness that there was a, a gap. Mm-hmm. Now, they all knew who I was, and they all knew who he was, and they welcomed me with open arms. And I felt there was something healing about that process. They gave me photos. They told me all the stories. And I finished up knowing more than anybody else. Or, or, or maybe there's something special about us East Europeans. Maybe we are like that. Maybe we, we welcome our members of our family. Always. So always. always. <laughs> so that was how your Polish heritage has sort of started? The discovery started? Yes. And I've spent the rest of my life off and on. Yeah, definitely. We, we had the pleasure of um, experiencing, um, you know, the, the family history of your family history and the history of Marshlands, because that's probably what a majority of it was. Um, now, in your opinion, you mentioned that you finished the history, so you've got a history degree. So in your opinion, as a historian and also as a descendant of um, early Polish settler, how um, and why knowing the heritage is important in your opinion? Why is knowing it important? Well, identity is absolutely crucial. We need to know where we are. Mm. And the identity of New Zealand, too, because 
in New Zealand, there has been a tendency to make a master story that is too narrow. We need to be inclusive of everybody because we need mm. to realise that we've got a very rich heritage. Mm. I mean, I can see as part of my heritage Chopin and Beethoven mm. and Elgar. I don't need to restrict it because I have European heritage, I have British heritage, mm. and I have German heritage. All of that gives me access to a lot of the culture of Europe, mm. but also my own New Zealand culture because we are an immigrant people. And if we are not inclusive, mm. then we sort of cut off bits of ourselves. I think it's really important that New Zealand identity is seen in relation to the large numbers of immigrant people who come here alongside our tangata whenua. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think being enriched um, with the culture gives um, and not only the identity uh, to certain individuals, but it also enhances the experiences in life. As you said, you see things through different eyes. You you see you see different things. You experience different things, and we can carry on uh, sort of uh, giving that away to generations after you sort of thing our children great children yeah the more you accept different mm. cultures the more open you are to new ideas and the more possibilities there are and, and I think it's also um, and because I'm migrant and we're all migrants uh, gives a sense of confidence uh, belonging to, to if not to the place then to certain group to certain part of history mm. uh, certain historical events in a country if we can connect them ourselves with, with that sort of space, we feel more confident. We we know that we are not just just individuals, but we are part of the community. That's right. It gives us confidence. And I don't know, Margaret, whether you ever heard that, but um, we poles um, have to um, have got a saying um, when we say um, that. Our homeland, our home country, is in where, when our where our home is. So no matter where, whether you're in Poland or outside of Poland, like here in New Zealand, for us, for example, our home or our homeland is where our home is. So at home, we try to keep it quite Polish, to a degree, of course. Did you, in your home, um, experience or practice something Polish? Not really. Hmm. You see, we had two world wars. And in those world wars, there was an understanding that some people were enemy aliens. Mm. Some people were German. And in New Zealand, there a lot of people would not know that Poland was not German. Because after all, it was part of the Reich. It was... Yes, uh, and it had a history mm. of Germanization, but it's, that was what they it meant. is interesting. What they you just said. meant it came from Eastern Europe, and there was huge prejudice here against Russians and against Germans and Polish people. Well, some people didn't know the difference. But uh, Margaret, um, of course, we're talking that that's all about Polish heritage. But what about your Irish heritage? Did you have a flavor of Irish heritage at your home? A little. Apart from Guinness. A Guinness. <laughs> yes, we had Guinness because we were in the wine industry and we got a lot, we got special um, 
uh, uh, gifts from Guinness every year. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. <laughs> but yes, there was a lot of Irish heritage because we were Catholic. Mm-hmm. And the Catholic community was very strongly Irish. In fact, when I was going to uh, uh, primary school, I understood that I was in an Irish setting and we were an Irish, to be Catholic was to be Irish. But one day, many years later, I wrote down the names of the people that I went to school with. And all those Irish people, they had names like Schluter and Bukowski and Van Beek mm-hmm. and Kamana. So we in Not Rangura Irish. <laughs> had quite a lot of immigrants, mm. people from after the war, who came from Europe. Yeah. But we all considered ourselves Irish anyway. Yeah, yeah of course. We and, and, and we all know that, uh, we know, and, and you know, that um, Poles uh, were close to Irish uh, th- those early days. There were a lot uh, of intermarriages between mm, the Polish community yeah, and the And Irish. they also joined Irish during the riots in uh, Christchurch on Manchester Street, <laughs> which, <laughs> is the, <laughs> which is the different story, of course, to tell. But I do have a little Irish, okay. <laughs> but it's not nearly as much as I have Polish. Okay, and we are pleased to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so with this discovery of your Polish heritage, Margaret, did you notice any particular qualities that um, Polish people or Polish culture has or had um, and how those qualities helped migrants or help early settlers in particular survive and and contribute and sort of integrate into community to New Zealand? Well, I think when they arrived, is that the question you're asking? When they arrived, they had... They took up the most difficult piece of land in the whole of Canterbury. Mm. It was a piece of swamp so deep that there are stories about a herd of cattle being put into the swamp to graze on their way into Christchurch, and the next morning there were none there. They'd all got lost in the swamp. Mm. It was very, very difficult, and it was very difficult to find tenants for that area. So they went in there. In the, in the beginning, there were no roads, there was mud everywhere. They were closed off for the winter. They couldn't even worship in their own church because they couldn't get there. And, of course, what most people believe is later on when these things had been fixed. So they had, as most migrants do, a culture of working very hard. They also came from terrible conditions, I have to say, back in Poland, where they were persecuted where their land was not safe, where their businesses could be shifted in favour of the Prussian soldiers, Mm -hmm. where soldiers could come into their house and take their books, where their priests were in prison, all of that. And then they went to Hamburg to go to America and somehow finished up in New Zealand. And we don't know how that happened, but it did. It's a story on its own, I think. (laughs) Not only that, but Mm. my great-grandmother, who had three children, three boys, Mm. arrived in New Zealand with all those children gone. They all died. One in Poland and two on the way out. Mm. So their lives, up until when they came here, were pretty hard. And when they arrived here, well, it wasn't all a box of roses, but they went into the immigration barracks and they probably weren't, they don't seem to have been um, chosen, they didn't get employment, 
But the railway engineer came in and said, well, you know, you go, you go to my place mm. and I'll make sure you get some casual work to do. And then they came and said, well, we've got this land here and you, you might be the guys that might drain it. Mm. So they did get support of a sort mm. when they came. They worked very hard. I think what kept them going was that they had community because they arrived with their relatives. Their relatives may have came on a boat Mm. a little bit later, but they were big families, Mm. uh, extended families, and they had the whole community. Even the Germans that they fought with back in Prussia, actually some of them came, so they had the same enemies. (laughs) They had... Other groups of Polish people... But they people, could, could communicate because well, they they, communicate. they spoke German between each other probably. That's right. And although they didn't speak English, but they still could yeah. communicate. Yeah, and they had other point. groups of Polish... There were more than one group of Polish mm. people and some of them had long-standing grievances and they carried on with that too. Yes, so they had the whole... In some ways, they um, brought their whole So, so we're saying how important is the stake as a community? Oh, and family too. And family, yeah. and, 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 it was, and, and, and it was told in some of the stories that the, the, the villages migrated. Just the whole villages went to yeah. Hamburg, uh, small villages, right? Went happened to in Hamburg the states. Yeah. It happened. didn't quite happen yeah. here. But, but I think it's. Very... I think the rest of the village went to America. <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> they were the ones that got stuck. <laughs> but on the I, boat th- I think it's 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 what, what we just uh, sort of uh, not that discovered, but just uh, sort of touched the point that. Uh, the community spirit, the being together, mm. the caring for each other, the looking uh, at each other. Uh, it was important in those days, but mm. uh, I what think a, that What about the culture, do you think, and, and the Catholic faith, for example? Yeah, their faith mm. really was a major mm. thing. It, the Catholicism can give you a, an attitude of um, accepting, mm. accepting what happens. Forgiving. And, <laughs> yes. And uh, this, I think, helped a lot. They, I think they lived by faith. Mm. Their faith was very, very strong. Mm. And I think that gave them strength. Yeah. And, it, and it actually shows um, through uh, different set Polish settlements across New Zealand because when we know there was a settlement here in Canterbury, there was a settlement in Taranaki as well. And, um, and I think that the, the strong community feeling, yes, uh, as a belonging to, to a community uh, and also the Catholicism uh, it was were two major ones that kept people sort of together, so they could speak no English, they could um, probably not celebrate Christmas the same way because it was in the middle of the summer and it's the middle of winter for us, so they, they kept those little things um, to themselves and together and that, that's what kept them together. Well they were able to talk to each mm. other, I mean mm. if they had come in the way that people come in now as single families they would have been incredibly isolated but they had people that they could talk to. And there was no Google. (laughs) There was no Google. (laughs) No Google. Just on the marshlands when we covered we covered that they uh, settled in marshlands here and it was hard work Um, obviously um, today in in 2021 there is marshland is a thriving um, settlement after the earthquakes we've got a lovely um, 
subdivision here, but there are still parts of it that um, that are um, also that are the gardens and the farms that early Polish settlers used to. They're still um, growing onions. It's still growing onions. <laughs> yes, they're still growing onions. They still have floods and, and bogs to, mm-hmm. in some areas. But we also showed us some wetlands um, when we first met a few years back. Um, that are part of the of the subdivision here, so that was kept also the way uh, it used to be. So, can you elaborate a little bit on the contribution that Polish people had to the community here and to the region and to the country? Right. Well, initially it was very strong because they were growing food, vegetables, onions, etc. for Christchurch, mm. and the market gardening was very valuable. They were also uh, became experts in growing onions Mm. and they exported those to Australia. So there was an export business as well. Mm. And of course they drained the swamp. The swamp was very, very dangerous. There was only one way through it, which was is now Hills Road. Road, There was it was a difficult place and it's between Christchurch and the north. And you need you need to be able to travel through there. Mm. So they did a great service in that way. And of course, as time went on, they became integrated into New Zealand society. They became, and of course, as individuals, they contributed a great deal. And it's terribly important, as I said before, that the uh, identity of a New Zealander must include all the small ethnic, ethnic communities. Groups, yeah. Otherwise, we, we can't be complete as a nation. And on that note, we are different, but we are part of the one community. We are all different, but equal. Different, <laughs> but equal. Um, we, we all contribute one way or the other to the, to the community. And, um, and we are proud to be uh, of Polish heritage. Um, mm. We are proud to be able to share it with other ethnic groups as well. Um, and um, let's continue and celebrate um, every single year. The, and we are very pl- proud of you, Margaret. We are. We, <laughs> very, you know, very we proud always, of you. You know, where we, everywhere we go, we always talk about you. How if there is a question, work. we have to ask Margaret because I'm sure <laughs> and, she knows the answer. And the way you are promoting uh, the Polish heritage in New Zealand. Uh, thank you very much for that. Yeah, It's international as well, of course. Oh, we know it's international. <laughs> because we know. But when we're I keeping a lot profile here, so we... <laughs> when I tell a Polish story to an American, yeah. it says something to him about the international community because they have experienced something very similar. But, of course, you people have come from Poland and you speak Polish and you have a Polish culture that I can Mm. only dream of. But you came from a very different Poland to where my great-grandparents came from. (laughs) Very different Poland. We are the missing link between (laughs) the Polish ancestors and and, uh, descendants that are living here now. So and very happy and very proud to share uh, with you guys um, what we know about Poland and what Poland is now about so on that note Margaret um, it, it was a pleasure as always oh, to have you pleasure. and uh, <laughs> we'll you see much. you again um, very soon I'm sure Inevitably. on another heritage <laughs> matter <laughs> thank, you. thank you Thanks. our first Polish national dance we are going to introduce to you today is Oberek enjoy
Rectory of Marshlands in Canterbury in Christchurch. Um, it would appear the incentive for immigration from the northern area of Poland was related to the fact of being under a ruthless German occupation and official German policy, especially after 1870, was annihilation of everything Polish. With the 1772 partition, names of rivers, lakes, mountains, towns were changed to German ones, and by about 1848 in Poland, Polish first names or baptism were not allowed. Later, some surnames were Germanized also, but were, while the Polish men were conscripted into the Prussian army for the Franco-Prussian War, Polish schools and seminars were closed and it was made illegal to use the Polish language. With priests jailed or deported, registering births, marriages and burials became increasingly difficult and when German agents employed by various governments offered easy repayment terms for travel costs or free travel for those migrating, our ancestors became interested. Most of the first marshlands Polish settlers came from the Kashubi region of Pomerania, near Czesk or Borytucholskie, what we call Tuchola forests, near Gdańsk. The very first of the Poles to pioneer marshlands in Christchurch were a mix of those who arrived aboard the ship Friedeburg on the 30th of August 1872, some of whom were sponsored out and little later and one or two who arrived on other ships. Friedeburg passengers were the first shipload of continental European immigrants to come to New Zealand under Julius Vogel assisted migration scheme launched with borrowed money as a means of filling large areas of land in New Zealand. They all traveled through Hamburg in Germany. That was the central point of departure and that was the, the point of departure for Friedeburg, leaving in May 1872. Wealthy migrants might use a smaller ship traveling the Baltic between Gdańsk through to Hamburg, but poorer migrants like Gierszewskis, Borkowskis, Wattenbachs, Grochowskis and Szymańskis, once the decision was made to go, went the cheaper long overland way. It was impossible to go all the way to Hamburg by train, so it was walking and more walking and more walking. On arrival in Hamburg, there is a confusion Ships are heading out to America, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and everybody says this country is best to be soon, con soon contradicted by agents of another country. When one ship is full, the carryover passengers are put on the next ship some weeks later. The New Zealand agents find a place to sleep for the uh, migrants, and they say America is no good since the Civil War and he then lent them the 15 pounds an adult for passage. Telling them also that in New Zealand they can earn six shillings a day and it will be easy to repay. On arrival in Christchurch, most of, of them were for a short time housed in Eddington immigration barracks 
and several free rations and served free rations. They quickly took up whatever employment was offered, but the rate of pay was less than what British got, on account of the language difficulty, of course, according to the British. 23 single men were employed within the first week on farms as laborers and 42 single women employed as maids, but only four with families got work. There came Mr. Holmes. He came one day with Herr Radenklau, the German engineer in the tunnel, a Littleton tunnel, to offer accommodation and work for 14 family men at Pigeon Bay, stamping the land to turn it into arable land and they went there by small ship. Other family men were also sent out onto Banks Peninsula cutting trees and in season collecting cocksfoot grass seed which returning sometimes as much as 30 pounds for two months work meant their loan could have been quickly repaid almost a year's income in two months. Naturally, potatoes, vegetables, herbs, etc., etc., were planted close to their cottages everywhere they worked. As in Poland, growing food was a necessity for all working people. What is the area of marshlands? It's the area between the Styx River in the north, Shirley in the south, Papanui in the west, and Bottle Lake districts in the east. It was an area of about 15 square miles, now incorporated into Greater Christchurch City. Marshlands described what the area actually was, wild swamps, where horses could disappear into both challenging and dangerous bogs. Two landed gentries, Rees and Rhodes, owned most of marshland, Rees, from the Marshlands Road to about Bottle Lake, while Rhodes owned the other side of Marshlands Road to about Papanui. They were looking for men intelligent and tough enough to be able to start breaking in the vast swamp. And they found the Poles in the camp out on Banks Peninsula and offered them land leases of one pound an acre per year for 30 years and convinced some to take up five and ten acres blocks. A family of Walters were one of the early marshland settlers and years later Mr. Walter, former chairman of Weimar County Council, recorded who were the original settlers. His manuscript is kept in the Christchurch Public Library. So, who were the marshland Poles? There were plenty of them, John Sochomsky and his wife Anna, the Roda family, the Rogal family or Rogala family, Albert Wattenbach or Wattenberg and his wife Katarzyna, Albert Roda, Mr. and Mrs. Grofsky or Grochowski, Michael Gierszewski with wife Katarzyna, Matthew Szymański, joined later on with, um, by Christopher Szymański. There was Franciszek Rogacki, Joanna Szymański, Mr. Borowski, Matthew and Julia, and Julia Szymański, and of course the Kisanowski family, who lived there till today. 
Polish migrants were too poor to have lots of money for support. And as Wattenbach and Gierszewski's families were related, and so were the others, support came from within the community. So here's the story of marshlands. And now I introduce you to a second Polish national dance, Krakowiak. Enjoy. presented chart is with Ray Wattenbach and uh, his reflection on family Polish roots and trip to Poland. My name is Ray R-A-Y Wattenbach W-A-T-E-M-B-A-C-H. I was born in Waitra in 1941 so I'm 76. I'm the eldest son of a family of four children uh, born in Waitra to um, a father of Polish extraction and a uh, mother of Scottish and Irish extraction. My grandparents came to New Zealand. Uh, in the case of my Polish grandparents, uh, Martha Niestrowski or Nesterowska came uh, in 1876 on the Fritz to Wellington and then they settled eventually in Taranaki. Uh, grandfather Joseph Wattenbach came on the Friedeberg to Littleton in 1872 and when he was a young man he desired to have a Polish bride so he came by steamer up to Taranaki, selected his Polish bride and took her back to Christchurch. He, he was uh, ethnically a, a, a Pole although his ancestry, his surname, would indicate that he had German ancestry. The German ancestry, of course, comes from 1680, when uh, one branch of my ancestors migrated to Poland uh, from Nuremberg in Germany as business people. They were traders in silks and brocades and things like that. I noticed the only thing that the Wattenbachs in Christchurch made the newspapers for in the 1890s and early 1900s was for the big fish they caught. 
My great aunts and great uncles spoke Polish amongst themselves. Uh, they didn't speak it out in front of anyone else. They they forced themselves to speak English. And with me growing up in a mixed family, um, uh, it was English was my main language. M my father said to me, oh, you go down and visit your grandmother after school and uh, see if she needs anything from the shop. So I would turn around and go and... Uh, do her messages for her and uh, as an old lady I think she liked talking and liked company so and living on her own she would talk about things that happened when she was a girl. Now there was a mixture of what happened as a girl when she was in Poland, what happened here in New Zealand. So I grew up with an understanding of some of the finer points uh, of, of uh, growing up in a small village in Poland like having uh, a cellar under the floor of the house and the cellar was designed to um, to keep potatoes and beetroot and things like that in during the winter because the, the Polish winters could be as cold as minus 50 and with that intense cold the the food would be destroyed before my grandmother died, my Polish grandmother, um, she asked me to go to Poland and record the uh, and see if any of the family had survived the war. Uh, it took another four trips before I realised there were no relations at all left on her side of the family. And then in 1989, by doing more research, I found that... Um, there was one Wattenbach left in Poland. I didn't connect with Hildegard Wattenbach till 1989. We got to uh, Poznan about four in the morning and uh, yeah, my sister was not very well. So rather than wait till about nine for a, for a train, I hailed a taxi and I took a taxi the rest of the way to Hoynitsa which is where uh, Hildegard of Wattenbach lived, the last of the uh, Wattenbachs. She was the last one of that name in Poland. Uh, anyway, she had a daughter there who was married and she was living with that one and we rolled up there at six in the morning <laughs> and they were pulling their bricks up or pulling their pants up coming out to meet us and uh, yeah, they were just, they were so glad to see us, but we knew there was a tremendous shortage of um, goods and things. Uh, so we'd bought a suitcase in West Germany and we'd filled it with things like shampoo and soap and aspirin and um, nylons for ladies or whatever. You, you just couldn't get them in Poland. and. Uh, the first thing the old lady did, old Hildegard, as soon as she saw shampoo, she went off and washed her hair, left us having breakfast. <laughs> her family had organised um, a taxi driver, a friend, to take us around. And uh, they took us then to the villages that, um, that both grandfather and grandmother had come from. And there were three of them in uh, northern Poland that my grandmother came from. Gremlin, Wielki Gartz, which was where the church records were kept, was where the church was. Uh, and uh, Rudno, where the Potrotzes came from.
So um, then when we when later on I went to further to the west to the Kashubian region to Rittal, um, Chiesk and Leshno. Yeah, the those villages that's when I really did feel at home because um, I'd said to the guy who was taking me around on that trip, I was on my own, and um, I said, oh, I've lost track of one branch of my family in this area. He says, really? I know where they lived. And so he took me there. Um, and I said, how do you know? He says, I looked up the records. <laughs> Polish identity for someone growing up in New Zealand in a small village is very difficult to maintain because you can only keep it in, in your home. Old Poles want to maintain any of their own cultural contact. They have to contact New Poles because the New Poles know the language or the dialects. In late 1975, a Dr. Pobolgawarowski came around doing research into the old Poles in New Zealand, which was included my family. <clears throat> we um, met up and hit it off, and then I realised that the centenary of the Taranaki settlement was due to start in, uh, in 1976. So I sort of cast around to see if anyone was interested in got a handful of people and eventually we thought about 40 people would be interested. But unfortunately for me, um, 40 are what went on to the committee. And then 1,800 turned up for the reunion. Now, uh, before we got into the reunion, some of the, the old Poles that had married into English families had sort of raised the question, should we invite any of the new Poles? But those new Poles were those Paya Tua children that came in 1944. And some of them had had holidays with the families. We were now having a celebration. And the old people were indignant at the idea of cutting out the, these new Poles. Hell no, we've got to have them. And so 400 of them turned up and their children uh, and grandchildren. Then they bought a dancing group from Australia and then they bought an orchestra from somewhere else. And before we knew it, they were saying, can you find accommodation for um, about a thousand people? Uh, and I found I was riding a tiger rather than anything else. But if it wasn't for those new poles who actually showed us that they had beautiful costumes, they had music we'd never heard, the songs that our people knew when they came to New Zealand, they would sing them at funerals and wakes and things like that, um, or at weddings, up till about 1930, but I wasn't born till 1941. So the period I grew up in was just simply an empty one, and uh, in 1976, the new Poles come and brought the colour back into, into it. And so we were immensely enriched. Um, so whenever I got 
uh, whenever I talked about going to Poland, there was always someone saying, oh, can you visit my mum? Can you visit my father or something like that while you're there? And, hey, you're Pole, that's good enough. Away we went. Every person should know where they come from because when you know where you come from, you're secure in yourself. When I first wanted to look at Polish records, I could get them through the uh, Mormon Church, through Latter-day Saints. I'd get a, the microfilmed copy of church records sent out. And when I went to Hamilton years ago, 30, 40 years ago, to, um, to get a look at them, I said, oh, can you show me how they work, you know, and so on. They could put them on the reel, but nobody could tell me how they worked. Nobody could translate them for me, so I had to turn around and get books, import them from the United States where there are quite big genealogical societies, Polish genealogical societies. And um, so I learned how to read the Latin, the German uh, and German script, and that's diabolical. It's like um, a spider that fell into a bottle of ink and walked sideways across a page. So having to read that, then I found all sorts of people would be tapping me on the shoulder. Oh, can you help me? Can you help read, you know, this record? And in the end, I ended up doing very large family trees um, for different people and different occasions. The last one I did up here was for the Lewandowski family reunion. Now, Lewandowski's came out from uh, Kokoszkiewi, which is a village in northern Poland, um, where a lot of the Taranaki Poles came from. The Drawitskis, the Stahurskis, the Koklinskis, um, and a number of other families. They, they came from that particular village. They, in each, each of them know where they come from, but they find this language barrier tough and the Polish language is difficult. Um, how I've got away with not knowing language fluently all these years, I don't know, but I've managed. And the, um, I suppose when I was working in Germany, uh, what was it, 1965? Yeah, when I was working in Germany, I was able to learn some German, and in northern Poland, which had been under German occupation, most of the old people understood German, so I got by on a mixture of German and um, English or bits of Polish and so on. Um, the, the language is a problem, and, and New Zealand Poles have this. For people visiting Poland nowadays, nearly every young Pole's trying to learn English as fast as they can, so it's not hard to get around. Thank you, Ray. That was a beautiful story. And now I would like to invite everyone to listen to next Polish national dance, Mazur. Please enjoy it.
next national music piece is a dance number four, Kujawiak. Hope you enjoy it. are listening to Polish Waves on Plains FM. Thank you for joining us this October for some interesting facts on Polish heritage in Canterbury. Our broadcast was sponsored by Between the Waters, Polish Legacy in New Zealand Trust and sponsored by Polish Embassy in Wellington. We advocate and promote Polish heritage as part of New Zealand ethnic identity and provide forum to present, share and celebrate Polish uniqueness. You can look us up on Facebook, Polish Legacy in New Zealand, or find us on Spotify under Polish Waves. And here's our last piece of music, the most famous one um, on, in Polish culture, and that's a Polonaise. This particular one is from Polish movie Pan Tadeusz. Enjoy.
You are listening to Polish Waves on Place FM. Please check our Facebook page for summaries, news and more of interesting Polish facts. Do usłyszenia! We will leave you now with a poem on heritage by Margaret Copland, descendant of early Polish settlers in Canterbury. Goodbye. We were born at the foot of a mountain, my parents, grandparents and me. We lived our lives under a mountain and the mountain was close to the sea. And as we lived under the mountain, we felt as though we were free. My Tupuna were immigrants, settlers, displaced in their own country, foreign and Catholic, impoverished, in need of a place just to be. In the place they were born, there were castles. No ocean with breakers and tide. They had churches and towers and a fountain, the army, the land occupied, and there was never a mountain, a mountain close to the sea, and they never lived under a mountain, and they could never be free. But I was born under a mountain, a mountain quite close to the sea, and I've known that under that mountain what it can mean to be free. <laughs>